Till Death Do Us Part is a lighthearted and sometimes satirical true crime podcast where we present our dysfunctional married take on serious cases involving other dysfunctional relationships. We hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to the 96th episode of Till Death Do Us Part. I'm Daniel. And I'm Melissa. Yes, you are. Before we start this episode, or finish this episode, Daniel needs to make an announcement. I did a very accurate factoid, (laughs) but some people had an issue with the way I presented one of my factoids, believe it or not, which, of course, since I got them on the internet, they're accurate. I'm shocked. (laughs) So we're both right, and that is that I talked about the term period (laughs) for menstruation And it is true that the first time it was used as like commercial and started being used on TV. On a national television. Was in 1985. And that was delivered by Courtney Cox. The term period was used, but it was more kind of slang. And that was since the 1800s. But as far as the actual commercial use of it, it was first really put out in 1985. So there you go. I read it exactly the way it was written and presented it for the factoid and tried to keep it as simple as possible. So it wasn't the full factoid. It actually has been around for a really long time. Just 1985 was the first time it was presented in a commercial. Cool. Okay. (laughs) I think we all kind of figured that, but there were some people that really wanted you to explain it further. Oh, okay. Well, everyone appreciates you clarifying your factoid. Sure. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Well, we're not doing factoids this week because this is a continuation of the story I was telling you last week or in episode 95. Yeah. People don't want to hear about my... (laughs) The wrong factoids. Wrong (laughs) facts. Anyway, so it's fine. This episode, we are going to dive into Belva Gartner. Cool. I was hoping. And it's Gartner, not Gardner. It's G-A-U-R-T-N-E-R. But when people say it out loud, it sounds like you're saying Gardner, but it's Gartner. All right. Gartner. Gartner. And then I'll tell you more about the women of Murderous Row. Sweet. Are you ready for my case? I'm ready. In 1924, there was another woman on Murderous Row in the Cook County Jail in Chicago. Her name was Belva Gartner. If Beulah Anon was known as the most beautiful woman on Murderous Row, Belva was known as the most stylish woman on the cell block. That's tough to do in a prison, (laughs) right? To be stylish? (laughs) Yes. Well, because your resources are pretty limited. Well, not in this prison. Oh. No. Really? You could bring your own clothing. In the roaring 20s. And makeup and hair supplies. Damn. You could make your cell look like a little apartment. Huh. Can you do that now? No. Yeah, I wouldn't think. Not without special attention to the guards and such. And you wear orange. Orange is the New Black. That's true. Everything I know about prison life, I got from Orange is the New Black. 
Well, it's factual. It's about as factual as my factoids. <laughs> In the early morning hours of March 12, 1924, two officers responded to a gunshot heard near Forestville Avenue and 50th Street in the south side of Chicago. Walking on foot, they came upon a new Nash sedan parked out front of an apartment building. Inside was the body of a man in the driver's seat, slumped over the steering wheel with a gunshot wound to his right temple and exiting his left ear. An empty gin bottle lie on the floor of the passenger side, and there was a handgun missing three rounds of ammunition lying right next to that empty bottle of gin. Wow, that's quite a scene. It's got everything. The officers identified the deceased driver. He was 29-year-old automobile salesman Walter Law. It's said that the police were able to trace the license plate number back to a woman named Belva Gartner who just happened to live in the apartment building the sedan was found parked in front of. But I'd also read that they used the registration and not the license plate. Because this is the 1920s. You can't just go back to the police station and type in a license plate number and get that person's information. Gotcha. You need to get that information from the registration that is usually in the glove compartment. It wasn't as bureaucratic as it is now. Right. Oh, makes sense. I don't know why that was important for me to share. It just was. Okay. Detectives made their way up to the apartment. 38-year-old Belva shared with her elderly mother. After knocking on the door a few times, an intoxicated Belva answered the door, wearing a robe over a blood-splattered slip. Oh, boy. Noticed immediately on the apartment's floor were a pile of bloody clothing. Can I make an observation here? Yes. So for such a restrictive, meaning no alcohol, period of time, these women are always hammered. (laughs) Right? Most people were hammered. Yeah. I mean, even today, I guess it's possible, but that's not typical that you're going to open a door and a young woman's going to be really drunk. Not usually. No, so. Most are high now. Well, that's true. Okay, never mind. (laughs) I digress. Go ahead. High on something. Go ahead. (laughs) When asked about the dead man found in her car, Belva said she was too drunk to remember, but that she did know Walter Law. She knew him very well. And then Belva was taken down to the police station to sober up and hopefully to get more answers to their questions. Belva Eleonora Boosinger, wow, <laughs> that's a name, was born in September of 1884 in Litchfield, Illinois. In the early 1900s, Belva moved to Chicago and became a larger-than-life cabaret performer, going by the name Belle Brown. Hold on. She was a cabaret performer, and her last name was Boo Singer? <laughs> Oh! That's most unfortunate. Or That's not what she went by. No, I know. But maybe that name kind of drove her to it. Like, boo, Boo. singer. Right? Nothing. Well, she went by Belle Brown. That was probably better. In June of 1917, Belva married wealthy scientific instrument maker William Gartner, 
a German immigrant over 20 years her senior. He was considered a matrimonial prize. He was rich and had never been married. William was 53 and Belva was 31. The couple had met while horseback riding in the city's parks. Their mutual interest in all things equestrian led to a friendship which eventually turned into a form of love. Okay, so William was 53? Yes. What do you think the life expectancy average was for the mid-20s? Oh, that's a great question. Probably 54. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) I'm just saying, right? She's like, well, he's almost dead. Yeah, he may as well be 80 years old today. (laughs) 53 in the 20s? But you never know. Maybe not. Maybe he was healthy. Well, they were soon married. But after only five months of marriage, William filed for an annulment from Belva. Turned out she was still married to her first husband who had abandoned her. What? Belva requested $50 a week in alimony, which is about $1,000 today. It was denied. Their marriage was in violation of Illinois law. Nice. Mm-hmm. Good. That <laughs> two-timing whore. But once the divorce was final, the two began dating again. All right, I take it all back. And were married once more what? within that same Stop. year. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> yes. Because it was Illinois law at that time that you had to be divorced for a year. And she hadn't even started the divorce proceedings with her first husband because she was abandoned okay, by well, him. Hold on. So... He almost dodged a bullet with this woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he got an annulment. And then she immediately goes, "I he owes me money. Right? Right. So she's already kind of a gold digger. Well, so she's demanding money, even though it was an illegal marriage to begin with, and she knew it. So which means she was lying. Well, she was already past her prime. Right. She couldn't be a cabaret dancer anymore. No. So... Now she needed to have the money of her husband. Right, but shouldn't that have been a great warning to him? Like, this is who she is. She's trying to get money from you. So Probably. Yeah, I could see and that. And now they're dating again? Well, now they're married again. Or, I'm sorry, now they're married again. It right. is said that William did enjoy Belva's company in the bedroom. Oh, okay, never mind that. It's worth it. They like to use riding crops. Gotcha. But not on horses. Well, okay. I was going to say, but they, because they liked horses, so they like to, um, right. Theme, theme it a bit. They liked equestrian things outside of the bedroom and in the bedroom. Gotcha. Is the rumor that was going around high society in Chicago at this time? You know what their favorite position was? Oh, God. I'm afraid to ask. What? Well, of course. It's horsey style. <laughs> what is horsey style? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I can picture it. No, no. See? I didn't Out of my to. head. Out of my Immediately, head. Immediately, <laughs> everyone pictured it. So you're welcome. Well, I mean, they got the riding crops and the stuff and the saddles. And he's in his in the tails. 50s. And like, he's in his 50s going on 80s. Early to mid-50s, and she's whacking him with a riding crop? That's going to leave a maybe, mark. Or maybe she, maybe she likes him to whack her. I think she was the aggressor in this relationship. Oh, boy. <laughs> maybe he was really agile, 
and she liked to ride him like a horse. Oh my gosh! And he would be on all fours running oh around my gosh, the room stop, with her on the back. Stop! I don't we, know. We have to get out of this. We have kids that <laughs> listen. Well, I don't know. I'm just <laughs> talking about horseback riding. Uh huh. Giddy up. All right, go ahead. What happened to him? I know this is going to get bad, so go ahead and tell me. Okay, well, now I'm laughing. Don't laugh. It's not funny. Okay. Serious. The second union between William and Belva lasted about three years. William sought a second divorce after finding Belva with another man. Uh It is said that for the last few months of the Gartner's marriage, the couple were living with eight private detectives. William and Belva had each hired four men to follow their spouse around. So it was a lot of trust. Oh, definitely. This marriage was built on trust. Four, four each. <laughs> yes. Not so, one each, four each. So Come what on. had happened is William had hired a private investigator to follow Belva. Belva hired a private investigator to follow that private investigator and then so on and so on and so on. <laughs> it was Dang. really funny. Okay. This time, Belva was entitled to marital property. She was offered a sum of $3,000, which is about $46,000 today, and all their home furnishings, her car, and a billiard table. That billiard table is important. After the divorce in the spring of 1920, Belva became a chauffeur, so she became a taxi driver. She had a meter installed in the car, obtained a state and city license, and bought a green uniform. That's what I should do. You should. No, that's called being an Uber driver. Oh. It is reported that Belva met Walter Law, the married father of a three-year-old boy at the end of 1923 while he was selling her that new sedan, which was a possible gift from William Gartner. Wowzers. All right. The two began going out to the local speakeasies at least three times a week since December of 1923. Okay. And Walter's wife had no idea that these two were together. Like this. Okay, I have a question. Yes. How the hell do these people have so much damn time? I ask that constantly, all the time. Because it must be a secret that everybody else has 26 hours in the day, and the MacArthur's only have 24 hours in a day. No, we only have 21. (laughs) So he's- No, that's true. How do people have so much time? He's married. Yes, he's married. His wife doesn't know. And they're going out three nights a week, and he has a kid. So he has a wife, a kid, and presumably he's a job, he's selling cars. I guess it's a little more flexible because he's a car salesman, so he can kind of fudge his time a bit. Yeah, he's a busy guy. He can just say, oh, yeah, I went out for a test drive or something, whatever. He can make something up. But still, man, good for him. He could pull it (laughs) off. I couldn't do that. There's no way. Especially because his wife didn't know. You would know, right? I would like to think I would know. But then I read some of these cases and the spouse has no idea that their other spouse is cheating on them. Uh, Huh. All right. Well, after Belva was taken to the police station, she was able to tell the officers what she remembered because she had sobered up a little bit. These are direct quotes from Belva. 
On our way home, we began talking about stick-up men. I told Law we were taking an awful risk going home so late. Think of it, I said. What if some bandit stopped and robbed us and maybe tried to get rough with me? What would we do? Our conversations drifted along these lines for some time. Then I said, I'll bet I'm a better shot than you are. I suggested jokingly that we toss up a coin and that the winner shoots the loser. I said if the winner missed the loser, the latter would get a chance to shoot and vice versa until one of us was shot. There were nine bullets in the pistol. Okay, can I just say? (laughs) What? That is the most bizarre conversation I've ever heard someone's allegedly had. Yes. Especially if they like each other. I know. It gets even weirder. Oh, good. And then, oh, I just don't know what happened. I was too drunk. I remember seeing him collapse over the wheel, but I had no idea what was the matter. Walter, Walter, I called, but he did not answer me or move. Then I tried to pull him out of the driver's seat so that I could drive the car home, but I couldn't budge him. He was so limp. His head fell on my arms, and that's how my clothing came to be splattered with blood. I became frightened and ran into the house. We got drunk, and he got killed. I don't know how. You know, (laughs) that seems plausible to me. I totally buy it. You do? Oh, 100%. Yeah, why not? No, it seems like she's being truthful. Belva also told officers that she and Walter had been drinking at the Gingham Inn at 6800 Cottage Grove Avenue. While Belva was awaiting the coroner's inquest the next day, William Gartner, her ex-husband, showed up at the station with three high-powered defense attorneys. He was going to save Belva. Oh, God. Why? He missed the riding crop. During the inquest, Walter's wife, Frida, was brought in to give a statement. Frida said that Walter was a good husband and father and that Belva was a courteous escort. (laughs) (laughs) So she must have thought that Walter had hired Belva to be his taxi cab person, his chauffeur. She really has no idea. She had no idea. Yeah. Frida told investigators that she had sat up all night waiting for Walter and sewing curtains. He had told her that he was going into work and she waited up for him. Around 2 a.m., a taxi pulled up in front of the neighbor's house and Frida thought that it must be Walter drunk. But a man she didn't recognize came to her front door to tell Frida that her husband had been killed. I'm going to read you what Frida told the police. And what she was quoted as saying in the Chicago Tribune. Okay. But did you see her come in? She was almost giggling. Oh, I never knew I could hate anyone so much. My friends told me they hope she hangs. No, I don't want her to hang, but I don't want her to go to jail for a month or two and then step out. Then Belva said to Frida, Walter never did get along with his wife. He often told me that if it weren't for his little boy, he would never live with her. She said this to her the widow's face. What a heartless whore. Then Frida responded, He was so good and he was so fond of the boy, Walter Jr., the very image of his father. What will I tell the baby when he begins to ask questions? What will I tell him? 
And that's the wife. Yeah, that was Frida talking back to Belva. They were all around the same table during this time. So now she knows that he was having aerobics class <laughs> with Belva, right? Right. She knows. Now she knows they okay. were having an affair. All right. Well, as long as she knows now. Frida insisted that she had no idea that Walter was having an affair. She also stated that Walter was home most evenings. So how this guy did this, I have no idea. Well, I'm still at a loss. I don't know how. Good for him. The manager of the Gingham Inn, whose name was Curly Brown, <laughs> was asked about Walter and Belva's sobriety the night of the shooting. Be funny if Curly Brown had black hair <laughs> or was blonde. So he told the investigators they didn't have any gin, just ginger ale. We don't allow gin. They didn't display any guns in the cafe, though they may have talked about one, for I've always got my eyes peeled for guns. They were such a nice couple. I'm certainly shocked. <laughs> so he's, What a bizarre statement. No, but he's trying to save face for yeah. the place that he's working at. Because you're not supposed to serve alcohol right, right. at these places. They weren't even supposed to be called bars. They were called cafes. So they were just serving water and soda and I believe food. So he's saying they weren't drunk. They were sober when they left here. Gin. No, no, no. Gin, ginger. Ginger. <laughs> not gin. Ginger. That's what we serve here. Ginger ale. Yeah, that's it. That's why this place is packed, because our ginger <laughs> ale is so good. Curly Brown, <clears throat> Curly Brown's statement went against Belva's insistence that she was drunk and couldn't remember what happened in that car. An auto salesman who worked closely with Walter, a Mr. Paul Goodwin, was also questioned. His statement was a turning point in the inquest. Paul said that the Monday before he was shot, Walter had planned to take out more life insurance because Mrs. Gartner threatened to kill him. And three weeks before that, Walter had told Paul that Belva had locked him in her flat with her and threatened to stab him with a knife unless he stayed there. Okay. <laughs> so she kept him in the apartment against his will with a knife. That's love, ladies and gentlemen. That's love. He doesn't think he could overpower her with a knife. How about a chair? So what if she has a knife? Pick, pick up know. a couch and throw it at her for crying out loud. What do you mean lock him in the apartment? How? I don't know. After a two-hour inquest, the jury came back with a verdict. We, the coroner's jury find that Walter Law came to his death in the automobile of Mrs. Belva Gartner from a bullet fired by Mrs. Belva Gartner. Belva was then moved to murderous row at the Cook County Jail and held without bail. Okay. Well, it seems pretty obvious, <laughs> but... Belva's trial was held three months later on June 5th, 1924. Belva wore a new dress to the trial. So this is how the Chicago Tribune described the dress that she was wearing. Cafe au lait, braided in the back with bell-shaped sleeves and deep cuffs that clung to the curves of her body. 
The cat was a deeper brown that matched both her eyes and the mink choker she wore. Only her gloveless hands with painted nails showed her nervousness. Damn. That's poetry right there. That's quite an outfit. Mm-hmm. A mink choker. That makes me hot just thinking about having a oh, mink God. choker around my yeah. neck. The all-male jury were told a tale of gin and jazz. It was the gin and jazz's fault. <laughs> that was the period of gin and jazz, it seems like. It's the roaring 20s. Yeah, gin and jazz. That seems like all they ever talk about was gin. Gin, I don't even like a gin martini. I can't imagine just drinking bathtub gin. I don't know. We have gin and I'm like, I wonder if I could make something out of it. And then I change my mind and make a margarita (laughs) or something else. But I digress. Belva Gartner had drank too much and could not remember the evening from the time she and Walter had left the bar till she heard the sound of the gun and that Walter could have possibly died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. But the coroner reported that it could not have been a suicide because Walter did not have any powder burns around the entrance wound. The gun needed to be within 15 inches to leave a powder burn. The gun was shot further away. So it was shot through either the open passenger door or the window of the passenger door. That makes sense. Unless he has crazy long arms. I think he was just average. Yeah. The prosecution believed that Belva's motive was simple. Walter did not want to be with her anymore. Mrs. Gartner had ensnared Law. He tried to break away, to stick with his wife and family. She killed him rather than lose him. That's it. It was believed that when Walter and Belva returned from the bar, she tried to persuade him to go upstairs to her apartment. Walter refused, remembering the last time he followed her into the home, she had held him against his will at knife point. Belva then drew the gun. He possibly tried to stop her, and she shot. I'd also read that she had told him to wait there, to wait for her. And then she ran up to her apartment and grabbed the gun and then ran back down and shot him. You know, it's 1924. This is almost 100 years ago. The story is going to get twisted and there's going to be new people telling a story from new information and old information. And someone might tell an interpreted version of the story and then pass that off as factual. Right. And all of my information came from the articles in the Chicago Tribune. So All right. well, that doesn't mean that they're 100% correct. No, because you know. I mean, they're written by a newspaper. So yeah. they could have embellished a little bit here and there to sell more newspapers. But still, it's probably fairly close, wouldn't you say? I think so. Yeah. Okay. The state tried to prove that Belva was not drunk enough not to remember the events of the night, calling to the stand the owner of the Gingham Inn and the head waiter, who both testified that the couple were not drunk when they arrived, nor were they drunk when they left. For the Gingham Inn does not serve alcohol. (laughs) Yes, you do. (laughs) Well, then what do you serve? Ginger ale. Who the hell goes out to buy ginger ale? 
Yeah. Zero people. It's the question of the century. Yeah, no one. The defense called zero witnesses and waived their closing argument. Oh, boy. After seven hours, the jury returned with a not guilty verdict. What? Belva hugged her attorneys and thanked the uh, jury. <laughs> what the hell just happened? <laughs> the same thing that happened to Beulah. <sighs> no one was ever found guilty. Oh, wait. No, that's not true. Hold on a second. Belva went back to the Cook County Jail to pack up her belongings, including her extensive wardrobe. On May 2nd, 1925, almost a year after the trial, Belva and William were married for a third time. Oh, my God. All right. I quit. <laughs> I'm leaving. Come back. Come back. What the? Why? What? Just why not just hang out? Well, a little over a year later, they divorced. William filed for divorce once more, <laughs> claiming that Belva was drunk almost every night. No. And was involved in numerous love affairs. No, you think? William also claimed that Belva had become abusive towards him, even hitting him over the head with a mirror. Oh, okay. So the writing crop was not enough. No. You should see yourself, smash head with mirror. <laughs> William Gartner died on December 3rd, 1948. He was 84 years old. Holy crap. I know. 84 and 48? <laughs> yes. He lived to be 84. I know. In 1948. That's amazing. That he might as like... well be 150. Yeah, pretty close. Yeah. Might as well be Moses. Dang. How Moses lived for... A really long time, you know, right? If you think about it, though, like in his end days, so to speak, get his elderly prime. We'll say elderly prime. <laughs> he was Hugh Hefnering at a bit. Oh, you think? Yeah. Maybe. Because, I mean, he constantly had this woman and they're just going at it and he divorces her and then remarries her and they go at it and then he divorces her and remarries her and they go at it. It's like, dang, man, how much energy you got? Well, it wasn't that great if she's also banging other dudes on the side. Well, because she's young. She's not that young. She's in her 40s by yeah, this time. True. No, thank you. Yeah, she is a healthy. <laughs> she's bored. I guess. Apparently, the divorce was never finalized because Belva was still listed as William's wife in his will. She received $25,000, which is over $300,000 today. After William died, Belva moved to Pasadena to live with her sister and died from natural causes in 1965 at 80 years old. In good old Pasadena. Pasadena. That's where the rich live. Huh. Pasadena. <laughs> well, um, it's expensive. <laughs> Not anymore. Nah, yeah. Not anymore. It, it depends on what part, but yeah. So she lived to be 80. All right. Even mm -hmm. being an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Now, did he drink? That's my question. That's a great question. I don't know. I don't think so because he was very type A personality. Okay. Especially in his business life and his inventions and things like that. He's a pretty cool guy, actually. I did some research on him. And um, he, he that... came from nothing yeah. and built himself this million-dollar business. That's why he made it to 84. 
Because that takes a really tough kind of person to do that. It does. And he was from Germany. Yeah. And came over here with nothing. Yeah. It's a pretty cool story, actually. Well, I mean. Uh, aside from Aside from his marriage. Yeah. <laughs> Marriages. There were a few other ladies on Murderous Row who had their moment in the spotlight. Oh, really? Yeah. You want to hear about a few of those? I guess. With as much information as I could find. Sure. There was Big Anna Pickling. <laughs> Stop. Stop. Really? <laughs> big Anna? Big Anna. That was her name. Big Anna. Is she a big girl? Yes, yeah, she is, actually. I would assume so, because Big isn't her name. She killed her husband after he told her that he preferred the company of thinner women. <laughs> 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 okay, but... Her name's Big Anna. <laughs> All right. Oh, there's God. Moonshine Mary Wiesnack. Moonshine Mary. All these women just, if you got them all in the room, they'd just be sweating alcohol. <laughs> well, she got in trouble for distributing poisoned whiskey. Oh, then there's that. Kitty Malm is known as the Tiger Girl. Right. Kitty was known as the toughest broad on Murderous Row. She may or may not have shot a man in a stick-up, but her mobster boyfriend could have been the one to do it, and she was just covering for him. Sure, sure. Mm -hmm. Now remember, 90% of these women were found not guilty. So these are the ones that actually made it in there. These ones all went to trial. Gotcha, okay. But the craziest case of all was that of Sabella Nitty. Sabella was found guilty on July 9th, 1923 for murdering her husband and chopping him into little pieces. She was the first woman to ever be sentenced to death by hanging in Cook County. She was due to be executed in October of 1923. Sabella was an immigrant from Italy and did not speak any English. Newspapers described her as a quote-unquote dirty, disheveled woman. Her lawyer, only after asking for a new trial, was able to bring in an interpreter for Sabella. Frank Nitty disappeared from his farm on July 22, 1922. Sabella was charged with his murder and her lover and boarder, Peter Crudell, and her 15-year-old son, Charlie, were also arrested for Frank's murder. Damn, what did Frank do? He must have pissed somebody off. <laughs> so Peter and Charlie were charged as accomplices and for disposing of Frank's dead body. Okay, so they okay. they were convinced then he was a bad dude. Okay, well, wait. The charges against Charlie were dropped after he agreed to testify against his mother and her lover. But in September of 1923, Charlie disappeared. Uh-oh. Sabella had spent six months in prison when one day a glamorous woman named Belva Gartner became a resident of Murderous Row. Belva hired Sabella to clean her cell and do her laundry. And only three weeks later, in walks Beulah Anon. She also hired Sabella to do her laundry and clean her cell. Beulah and Belva take Sabella under their wings. They do her hair and makeup and give her some of their hand-me-down dresses just in time for Sabella's second trial. Oh. 
Okay. Now, this is interesting. Sabella was allowed to have her four-year-old daughter live with her in the prison cell. What? During the second trial, Sabella, with the help of an interpreter, was able to tell the jury that she did not kill her husband, but her son Stephen had. He had gotten into an argument with his father over the $400 he needed to marry a girl in Chicago. The two had a fist fight, and Frank became ill for the next three days and then wandered away into the fields, never to be seen again. Oh, sure. Isn't that wild? A little bit. It was reported that his body was found, but I only saw one report of that. Okay. And it wasn't chopped into a million pieces like they had said it was. On December 2nd, 1924, all charges against Sabella and Peter were dropped. Some say thanks to the makeover given to Sabella by Beulah and Belva. Okay, so the common theme here is an all-male jury pool. A beautiful woman steps up and they're like, oh, she can't be guilty. There's no way. She's too beautiful. Is that it? Is that where we're going with? I think that's what we're going with. I think every right. member of the jury had to want to sleep with the woman who was being tried. Huh. So if they were smart, they would play to that and present themselves in such a way that a little bit flirty or something, just kind of give off that vibe. So Absolutely. That all the guys, that's all they were thinking about. Absolutely. And the reason wow. I, I share Sabella's story is because she actually didn't do it. She was actually not guilty, but she was found guilty because of the way that she looked. She wasn't attractive. She didn't speak English. So she had no idea what was going on. And then in walk Beulah and Belva, thank God, and give her a complete makeover Tell her what she needs to do. I think they even taught her a little bit of English. And then she's found not guilty. And then goes off and lives the rest of her life with Peter, her young boarder. Wow. So she she was cheating on her husband. She was cheating on her husband with the boarder. But, but they couldn't prove that she murdered her husband. Right. And she said that the son getting in a fight with Frank, the husband... Must have really messed up Frank because he was immediately sick after the fist fight. And then he wandered into the field and died. So something must have happened. Huh. Maybe ruptured something from a punch. I mean, look at um, Harry Houdini. He died because somebody punched him in the stomach. That's true. I think that took a little while for him to die. Painfully. Horrifically. Okay, but what if the husband found out she's cheating on him with this younger dude? You're telling me that husband wasn't really pissed and then said whatever, like, that's it, it's over, I'm going to kill him and divorce you, and they went ahead and took care of him? Well, so Stephen, the happen? son, was missing. Yeah, and he's still missing, right? He never came back? He never came back. So isn't that odd? Uh-huh. You bring up some good points. I mean, if she's truly innocent, I don't mean that she was found not guilty. There's a difference between being found not guilty and being innocent. I think she was very believable once they could understand yeah. what she was saying. She probably had a nice voice. I could picture her now. I bet she could make a killer lasagna. 
I'm starving. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. You ready for my fun fact? Please. I'm going to tie this all together, people. Oh, good. Good. Maureen Dallas Watkins was the young reporter who worked for the Chicago Tribune. She covered the ladies of Murderous Row for eight months in 1924, writing about the murders, their inquests, and trials, focusing on their appearance and social standing, because that was what the readers wanted. She's smart. She really was, and she was young. People would be glued to these stories. Yeah, and she kind of became famous from it. Huh. Famous in her own right in Chicago during this time. And the girls in Murderous Row wanted to talk to her. And there were a couple other girls or women from competing newspapers that also wrote on these girls. Maureen became the most famous for one thing I'm about to tell you. Oh, all right. And that is? Well, let me get to that. After leaving the paper, she returned to school and studied at the new Yale School of Drama. As a class assignment, Maureen wrote a fictionalized screenplay of the murders committed by Beulah and Belva. She first called it The Brave Little Women, then changed it to Play Ball, (laughs) and then in the post-production script settled on the title Chicago. There it is. There it is. Dun, dun, dun. She wrote the screenplay Chicago? She did. She wrote the play. No way. Mm -hmm. Beulah Anon became Roxy Hart. Belva Gartner became Velma Kelly. Supporting characters were also based on the women Maureen wrote about on Murderous Row. Wow. Chicago opened on Broadway in December of 1926 and ran for 127 performances, then toured for two years where an unknown Clark Gable played the role of Amos Hart, Roxy's husband. Clark Gable, of course, is known as playing Rhett Butler in Gone with the Wind. Sure. A silent film version was released in 1927. In 1969, after Maureen passed away from lung cancer, Bob Fosse secured the rights to the play and went on to adapt Maureen's script into Chicago the Musical. Huh. Now, Beulah Anon's story, the Roxy Hart story, is very similar to what actually happened that night. Her lover was going to leave, so she shot him. Her husband came home, defended her until the end, and then she left him, right? Yeah. Belva Gardner's story was different. Velma Kelly murdered her sister and her husband because she found them in bed together. Gotcha. But she was a cabaret dancer. Pop. Six. Squish. Uh Uh-uh. Cicero. Lipshits. What what just happened? (laughs) Lip shit sounds like a medical disorder to me. Just saying. You don't want to kiss someone with the lip shits. <laughs> Wait, I'm trying to be serious. Wait. This is serious. And now, the six merry murderesses of the Cook County Jail in their rendition of the cell block tango. Should I sing it? Um, do you think people will turn it off? <laughs> it would be funny. Okay. 
I'm not going to sing it. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> Do you want me to sing it? See if you recognize this. Probably not, but go ahead. He had it coming. He had it coming. He only had himself to blame. If you'd have been there, if you'd have seen it, I bet you would have done the same. <laughs> nice. Very well done. <laughs> Thank you. But I got to read this first part to you, okay? Oh, all right, good. This is from Cell Block Tango, which is a musical number in Chicago. Okay. Just to give give you perspective. Okay. You know how people have these little habits that get you down? Like Bernie. Bernie, he liked to chew gum. No, not just chew. Pop. So I came home this one day, and I'm really irritated, and I'm looking for a little bit of sympathy. And there's Bernie, lying on the couch, drinking a beer, and chewing. No, not chewing. Popping. So I said to him, I said, you pop that gum one more time, and he did. So I took the shotgun off the wall and fired two warning shots into his head. Oh. He had it coming. (laughs) And then they play the refrain. Gotcha. (laughs) Wow. I like the two warning shots to the head. That was pretty funny. That's nice. That's well put together. This is one of my top five musicals of all time well now chicago now it gives it some structure and gives it some background (laughs) so that's cool it was first produced in 1975 revived in 1997 and became a film in 2002 starring renee zellweger and Catherine zeta jones chicago has become a two billion dollar franchise And Chicago the Musical holds the title of the longest-running American musical in Broadway history. Dang. I actually had the privilege of seeing the revived version in 1997, and it starred B.B. Newworth, and I got to see it. And it was incredible. How did you see it? My grandma took me. Oh, okay. It came to San Diego. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't know where they perform. Yeah, it was a tour. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And they came, and my you. grandma took me. And You must have been rich growing no, up. No, not at all. But one of the things that my grandma did spend money on was she took me to a ton of musicals and opera performances. Nice. And I'm very, very thankful for that. I also got to see B.B. Newworth in Damn Yankees, which is another amazing musical so if you have kids if you have teenagers i mean really any anybody go see these performances even if they're off broadway even if they're done in high schools go see these they're magical they give you a different artistic perspective and it's wonderful to watch these talented performers who can sing and dance at the same time live Plus, your kids need a break from Xbox and PlayStation. They so do. there you go. Absolutely. <laughs> now, I did look at how much it costs right now to see Chicago on Broadway. And it's for the cheap seats, it's $200 a ticket. Nice. Which actually is not that bad, I guess. Yeah, but it's, I guess that sounds about right. But I those are crappy it. seats, right? Like you need binoculars? Basically. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So, Daniel, what did you think of my case? Well, there's a lot. I didn't take notes, so (laughs) 
I forgot the first half in the f- second half, <laughs> but um, that was crazy. Did you like how I tied I f- it all together I in the end? I feel like, yeah, that was fascinating. So I just feel like there were just all these women running around just hammer drunk on their gin and tonic. Is that where the, you know how you stereotype people in, in movies and stuff and you think of the, obviously men have their alcoholic preferences and stuff, but women, it's like this thing where it's the gin and tonic. So you get the old lady with the long cigarette with her gin and tonic. Is that a throwback to this period? Yes, think? it's a it's a gin and tonic with a lemon squeeze. Yeah. Or you're having a gin martini, which now we mostly drink vodka martinis. Yeah, because they're smoother. Because gin's disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> I, maybe it's just the cheap gin. I don't know. Maybe you get good gin. Yeah, there was a lot of bad gin floating around this this time. Oh, God. Could you imagine? It was really bad, actually. People died from it because they would use gasoline. And things like that. Ugh. I think I did a factoid about it. It sounds vaguely familiar a while back about prohibition and stuff and, and alcohol. I remember something about it, but I don't remember when. I don't remember. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'll do it again. Maybe everyone else forgot just like me. Well, this was really fun to do. And actually, our daughter is sitting in the living room right now watching Chicago. Because we're good parents. We're decent parents are we gonna go tell her what it's based on i already told her because she was like you guys are gonna read corn i was like we have to finish this story like here here's a great thing for you to watch well she's really into musicals i haven't let her watch it yet i gave in tonight so there you go sorry nudity no oh then i don't want to watch it i did let her watch sweeney todd which might have been a mistake i know i know you know what I'm going to be judged by all these people listening, 11 people listening. I don't need to be judged by you, sir. Sweeney Todd? <laughs> I love Sweeney Todd. I love Sweeney Todd. That's one of my favorite musicals, too. I was going to say, uh, isn't it a musical? That's why I yes. don't like it. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this. I hope you got a kick out of it. And I really enjoyed introducing you to Beulah Anon and Belva Gartner and the rest of the ladies on Murderous Row. And I also loved being able to talk about Chicago. Chicago. (laughs) Yay. And thanks for listening. Thank you very much. And be careful. For marriage is a life sentence. And divorce is always the better option. Amen. Bye. Bye. Bye.